1: Why are the playoffs better at Boston pizza? Because we've optimized our sports bar experience by studying in-depth fanalytics, starting with our new BP winged ribs, currently leading all apps in wings above replacement and deep fried pickle wedges, an early favorite for the unanimous number one overall pickle. And of course the advanced stats, darling and leader in pints per game, the new beer Mosa catch the playoffs at Boston pizza powered by fanalytics
3: welcome into daily face off
0: live your go-to source for everything hockey live every weekday at noon eastern
3: in a round two that has been more or less allergic to close games we finally have a little bit of spice in the second round welcome into daily face off live presented by batano Head on over to batano.ca. The game starts now at Batano19 Plus. Please play responsibly. Bet with your head, not over it. Welcome into Daily Face Off Live. It is a Thursday, May 11th edition. He is former NHL Netminder, current Daily Face Off analyst, Mike McKenna. How you doing?
2: Man, I'm happy. Last night, seeing the spice on the ice, like you just talked about in the open. It was good, especially for games that have been so lopsided. Finally, we saw something going on, and the Leafs game was close, so Leafs in Florida 2-1.
3: Yeah, we have so much to get to. If you have a question for me or Mike, throw it in our YouTube chat right now as part of the stream. We'll get to it with our inbox question of the day shortly. We'll also have the coaches' room coming up a bit later and break down some tape with John Goyens of the Cape Breton Eagles. Let's start, though, with the Vegas Golden Knights and Edmonton Oilers. Mike? The question is very simple. With Alex Petrangelo, we now know getting a hearing from the Department of Player Safety, should one, both or none of Alex Petrangelo and Darnell Nurse, who was issued the automatic one game suspension for instigating in the final five minutes, should one, both or none be suspended?
2: I think it's pretty simple on Petrangelo that this should be a suspension. There's nothing close to a hockey play. He looks right at idle and says, yeah, yeah, I'm going to whack this guy. And he hits him really hard across the hands, um, kind of up maybe more so towards his elbows. But there's nothing about that going after the puck. And I, and I think if you're going to hold consistent with the, what the rule it's supposed to be, I mean, Nurse did go after Hag in the final closing minutes of this game, which is an automatic um suspension if you hold it up the way it's supposed to be written so like Frank for me I I think Petrangelo is an absolute no-brainer I think there's some gray area on nurse that the NHL can decide to go otherwise but I think that they need to stick with what that call was in the first place and hey man that was a great fight though like between Hague and nurse that's that's two big big bodies swinging hard and you could really see the passionate play there
3: so if you want any evidence as to why this should not be the instigator and automatic suspension just go to Jesse Granger's feed from The Athletic who talked to Mark Stone after the game who revealed that Nick Hague actually asked for the fight at the face-off prior to all of this going down. So if Haig asks, yes, Nurse comes over from a pretty significant distance 15 or 20 feet away, but if you're asking for it, I'm sorry, that's not an instigator, and therefore that should be thrown out. So uh, the Edmonton Oilers should be retweeting that from their their big social account today just to make sure that the Department of Player Safety knows that that should be rescinded. And more to the point, Mike, Darnell Nurse and the Edmonton Oilers don't explode if – Alex Petrangelo doesn't try and tomahawk off the arm of the best player in the Stanley Cup playoffs to this point. Now, we could have a whole separate side conversation and argument as to whether or not Dreisaitl and McDavid should have been on the ice that late with the game out of hand. But I think the NHL Department of Player Safety has to be exactly that. Player safety, they need to be the deterrent. You can't go after a a player of that caliber. And I know they say, take the player out of it, take potentially injury out of it, all those things. And the fact that maybe this one didn't have an incredible amount of force when it was all said and done, doesn't matter. That's the sore loser slash of the year, very uncharacteristic from Alex Petrangelo and something that has no business in the Stanley Cup playoffs
2: and it could leave a big mark on the series, because to me, Petrangelo throughout the entire course of the 2022-23 season, he's Vegas's best player. They use him in all situations. The Golden Knights need him now with this series at 2-2. Two two, it would look a lot different without him in the lineup. Same way with Nurse on the other side, but I think Petrangelo plays an even bigger factor for the Golden Knights.
3: Yeah, and I would say if you don't want to miss one of the best of three remaining have some composure, have your veteran leadership that you're supposed to have as a former captain in this league to not do something as stupid as raise your stick over your head with a baseball style swing at an opponent. You can't do it. And I just hope that the Department of Player Safety when it comes to this doesn't also, you know, back down and say, you know, maybe we'll even things out because we don't want to influence a series and say, we'll just give the suspension to Nurse or keep it there and also suspend Petrangelo, making this essentially a wash because those two things, there's no chance that both of them could be equal in my eyes. Let's yeah, talk about... No, sorry to cut you off. Let's, let's move on to the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. The brooms were out in South Florida, Mike. And you look at the way that the Leafs were able to stave off elimination. Maybe the most frustrating part of that, if you're a Leaf fan, is saying... This is one of their most complete efforts of the season, let alone the playoffs. Where was that in game three? Because we could be having an entirely different conversation today that the Leafs could be heading back to Toronto tied, and instead they trail in a three to one hole that looks just as daunting as it did prior to Wednesday night's win.
2: It's almost like the Maple Leafs need to realize that they don't have to score three, four, five goals to win games if they can just buckle down and play defensively. And, and that was a big key to the game, obviously, for the Toronto is that they did manage to limit the offensive chances of the Florida Panthers. And, you know, I went back and I looked at the shot map of where shots came from in game three for the Panthers and then in game four. And if you take a look at it, you can see that in game three, the Panthers got most of their shots, high danger shots, right in tight. I mean, we're talking 16 within the, the really prime scoring area in front of the net, between the dots. And then you look towards game four, there's hardly anything there. And, you know, for for a night where you've got a rookie goaltender and Joseph Wall making his first playoff start, you'd want to make his life a little more uncomfortable. And I don't think the Panthers were able to do that because, Toronto was so engaged defensively they were quick on pucks they were quick out of their zone they blocked shots they kept it to the outside and yeah Wohl did play well he made 24 saves but he's able to to swallow up everything from the outside and not give rebounds so I mean I think the Leafs got a pretty good bounce right off the bat with a puck off the referee's knee to It probably got him going a little bit Frank but bottom line came down to defense and Toronto was better in that area in game four looking to go back to game five.
3: Pete Blackburn made the joke on Bally Sports that the Leafs only scored one goal in that game that was not primarily assisted by the official, which was <laughs> hysterical. But um, hey, look, things like that happen, and the Leafs deserved the bounces with the way that they played. Um, now, when you look ahead, they essentially need to string together nine consecutive periods like that in order to pull this off. I doubt we'll see another effort like that from the Panthers. Not that it was a bad one, but just in terms of being able to generate some of those high danger chances can the leafs actually pull this off
2: uh the leafs are done they can't pull it off i mean three more in a row I mean, could they of course maybe they can but man i just i don't see it because to me the panthers finally had an off night um i think they'll bounce back pretty strong but i do want to give some credit to Sheldon creef taking that timeout uh, after Sam Reinhardt scored with about eight minutes left in the third period. I thought that was a really smart play on his part to settle things down, and the Leafs were great from there. They only allowed four shots in the last eight minutes. But winning three more games in a row against a Panthers team that's been so red hot, I think it's a tall task, Frank. I think the Leafs are done, but you guess you just never know in the way playoffs are.
3: Yeah, it was a great point about Sheldon Keefe, and I thought the comments the other day from Jim Montgomery were really interesting as the Bruins finally broke down their season with their post-mortem press conference. And he was essentially saying, I wish I was in the moment more. Maybe took a time out here or there to settle things down or did something a little bit different. You know, you kind of ask the same question of Jay Woodcroft having Drysdale and McDavid on the ice late in the game. Sometimes these things just tend to get away from you. Nice to see some composure there from the Leafs. And what was a pretty incredible moment having that lead cut in half. They, they could have easily packed it in in game four in general and just rolled over and been swept but the fight and to stay in it i thought was pretty impressive let's see if they can do it again and again and again which is what's required in order to win this series and advance to the eastern conference final speaking of advance to the eastern conference final the carolina hurricanes can do that on thursday night mike will they close out the devs in game five
2: i think they do even though i think the devils are bound to play a lot better there's just been a lot going on for the devils in this series that i haven't liked they've gotten run out of the building on several occasions yeah they came back and they played great in game three but game four was just another mess and you know whether you can look to vanacek or schmidt whoever is playing goal which i think schmidt will be the starting goalie here in game five they haven't gotten many saves they also haven't gotten the depth scoring that the Devils had throughout the season. And to me, the puck management and the giveaways have just been a crusher for the Devils in this series. Last game in game four, giveaways, Frank, they were 26 to two. OK, the Devils gave the puck away 26 times, Carolina twice. That just speaks to the four lines that Carolina rolls. And it's it's, it's causing havoc with the Devils. And the game that they've done so well this year, and that's possessing the puck. They haven't been able to do it against Carolina Hurricanes. And, you know, Carolina won. They got a great penalty kill. So they're not giving Jersey any space with that at all. J- Jersey has to do it five on five. Carolina's been the better team that way. And some of those players on Carolina, Frank, I, I talked to an NHL coach last year who I really respect. And he was previously a coach at Dougie Hamilton. And he said, you can't win with Dougie Hamilton. And I just went. What like it, it kind of it was such a striking comment, Frank, that it it stuck with me. Well, in this series, Dougie Hamilton, hate to say it, it, it's not going well, man. Like he's minus nine, zero points in the whole thing, and he's not alone here. I'm not saying he's the only guy, but it's just something that did stick with me, and I think that the the Devils, just in general, are going to have to manage the puck better and be able to break through Carolina in the neutral zone and have a chance in Game Five.
3: The series scoreboard that we just had up there will never not be amazing to me. Jordan Martinook nine points. I mean, mm-hmm. that came out of the absolute clear blue sky. And I said, again, not to pat myself on the back, my arm isn't long enough, but I said before the series started that depth scoring, yes, Barry Kotkanemi, I called him the X Factor. If someone yep. like him can get going in this series, if they can have players step up in the same vein that the Seattle Kraken have had all playoffs long, Why can't the Carolina Hurricanes win? And that's essentially what we've seen play out. Their disciplined approach, their consistent approach, way more consistent than New Jersey, has been one of the big difference makers. And I just look at the Devils and I say, they seem to me to be a team that's cooked. I know you said they're gonna play better and I fully expect that, but the way that they, not just their fans left the building, some of them bawling by the way, But the way that the players left the ice, the looks on their faces told me a lot in Game 4 as they were run out of the building. So uh, we'll see. Carolina hoping to advance to another Eastern Conference Final. They were just there a few years ago. And by the way, Mike, just as a complete aside, without the spiciness that we've seen in Vegas and Edmonton, has this been maybe one of the most uncompelling second rounds we've had in a while?
2: Uh, only because the games have been blowouts, eh? Like, it's kind it's of awful. been weird. You can, it like, honestly, there's been games where by the end of the second period, you're like, why am I even watching the third, you know? And finally, last night, Vegas and, uh, Vegas and Edmonton gave us something to watch there towards the end. So in some ways, yeah, it has been lack- lackluster.
3: But even with like five minutes left in that first period, you, you pretty much knew the result last night in that Edmonton game. Right. It was the, it was the festivities at the end. That's all that made it interesting. Uh, Let's get to some news on this Thursday. Uh, We reported yesterday that Keith Jones and Eddie Olchick, two Turner sports analysts, were the finalists for the Flyers' president of hockey operations job, which the team announced on Thursday is indeed official. Keith Jones' new president, Danny Briere, rips off the interim title, and he is now the permanent GM of the Philadelphia Flyers. They will hold a press conference on Friday to discuss what they're already calling a new era of orange. Mike? What do you make of the hire, Keith Jones, going from broadcaster, longtime broadcaster, both in the Philadelphia market and on the national stage with NBC Sports and now TNT, now elevated to the president role for the Flyers? What do you think?
2: Well, I'm excited about it because I really like Keith Jones, first off. Uh, somebody who was really gracious to me when I started to do broadcasting, and he's like that with everybody. And it's that's something that's a quality you got to look for and we've seen this before john davidson's gone from a broadcaster to the front office dale Talon did it with chicago previously as well on-air analysts tend to know the league as well as anyone not just their own team and keith jones is very passionate about the philadelphia flyers and the, and the entire philadelphia area that matters uh, but you're going to be running here with not a whole lot of experience daniel briere it's he was an understudy for two years but he's never been a gm jones he's his first time at hockey ops so I'm cautiously optimistic because I think you've got two really smart guys, two people that are very hungry for this job, that are passionate about Philadelphia, uh, and that, especially on Jones' side, knows the league inside and out, from the coaches to the players, to everybody that he sees in the press box that he talks about on air. So Frank, I just say I'm cautiously optimistic here with, and and I do like that they went outside the box a little bit. It wasn't just another retread from somewhere around the league.
3: Yeah, I hear you there. Um, It is definitely different. Um, It's interesting watching our YouTube chat, someone commenting that instead of a new era, it is a new error. And look, um, I I think that remains to be seen. I think that's harsh. To your point, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say a bad thing about Keith Jones at any point ever. Uh, Highly respected and someone that I think is gonna be a really strong communicator, which is essential in this position um the flyers need relevance they don't have any in this market it's the first time in my lifetime being a lifelong philadelphian that they don't have any and it's going to be a long road back to that i think everyone recognizes that danny briere in general um he was just on frankly speaking with me a couple weeks ago basically saying this is there's no shortcuts here there's no chance that this team can uh, you know, just reboot in the next year or two and get back to being the consistently excellent flyers organization that we've basically known for much of its 50 plus years of existence. So they've got a lot of work to do, but if you've got a strong communicator and someone who can be a guiding voice and light for Danny Breer, someone to bounce things off of and keeping the work ethic that Danny Breer has showing up to ranks, being your chief talent evaluator, uh, someone that has a nose for the work that wants to that you need for this job, I think they can be really successful. My question is, how does all this work also with John Tortorella having a mm-hmm. clear and big seat at the table in terms of the decision making process? John Tortorella, if not for Mike Sullivan, is the most powerful coach in the league at this exact moment in time. The Flyers acknowledging in their press release. Uh, that he is essentially going to have a huge role in the decision-making process. That's sort of unprecedented. Coaches always have an opinion or whatever. Uh, you know, GMs bounce things off of them. But for John Torrella to have a seat at the table, this is sort of a three-headed monster now. And I'm curious to see how all of those different pressure points uh, come together to make this all work. Because like I said, uh, the Flyers, in order to make this successful, Danny Briere. Keith Jones, John Tortorella, they all need to bring a shovel to work on Monday because they've got a lot of digging to do to get out of the mess that they're in.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. And just real quick here, Frank, to wrap this up, what was the reaction in the Philadelphia market?
3: You know, it's been really mixed. Um, I think first off, people were chuckling saying like, I can't believe you had two search firms uh, to tell you (laughs) that you should hire your team broadcaster. Um, For one, and I think the other thing, too, is like they. I think a lot of people were hoping for fresh blood, people that haven't played for the Flyers, people that haven't worn that jersey before. So I think unfairly, um, both Keith Jones and Danny Breer come in with this sort of tag of like the same old, same old. And I, I don't think that's the case at all, but that's how the marketplace sees it. So um, it's going to be up to them to sort of be inventive and creative and do things in a different way than it's been done in the past, which is basically a patch job year after year to try and chase that elusive Stanley Cup that, you know, they achieved success in years six and seven of their franchise that has been, you know, lingering for so long now. Um, that was their mantra, win, 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 win. It was like they were the, the hockey version of Al Davis, just win, baby. And and that's, um, they can't, it's cyclical in the NHL now with the salary cap. I think they get it. Danny Briere certainly gets it. We'll see if they can pull it off.
2: I'd like Mike, to see uh, this jersey here. I retired with them. So <laughs> I'd
3: yeah, like to see it. There you go. And and by the way, gonna be bringing back the burnt orange as you see a new era of orange. It's a nod to the Flyers making their look a little bit different as well. Let's get to the coaches room. Let's break down some film with John goyans This is the coach's room, and it is powered by the new Fanalytics menu at Boston Pizza. Deep-fried pickle wedges, beer mosas, pizza flights. There is no better place on the planet than to catch all of the Stanley Cup playoff action at your local Boston Pizza with the new Fanalytics menu. That's right, he is John Goyens. This is the coach's room and he is the head coach of the Cape Breton Eagles in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. John, uh, so great to have you back on the program after uh, rejoining us last week. And I wanted to talk to you about the Florida Panthers forecheck and what has made them so effective in these playoffs. They slayed the Dragon. That was the Boston Bruins in round one and they're pretty close to knocking off another really good team in the Toronto Maple Leafs, what's, what have they done in the offensive zone that's made them so effective?
1: The simple answer would be the aggressiveness, but the reality is their F1 just disrupts and he's got to get a piece of anybody and everybody that touches the puck. Their F2 isn't predictable he's reading the next play as quickly as possible and as we queue up these clips and ret- let them roll we're going to see how quickly they disrupt and how quickly they want to take away time and space they've got great sticks here you're going to see Verhegi. he's just going to place and chase but you can also see duclair right here he's just going to read he reads the next option is up the wall but also reads that he has to reload and get above it's a very mature way of playing the game without being too specific in your routes and they get a piece of you at all costs here bang get a piece of the guy even after he's dished the puck put him under pressure make him think here they just get open they keep moving the puck and again a reload the original f3 uh, f1 excuse me is now your f3 and getting a prime scoring chance disrupt set breakouts watch here no set breakouts don't let the other team get comfortable be a pain in the butt and here come fresh legs right off the bench, another scoring chance. So you get the other team constantly and consistently scrambling. Marner thinks, hey, I'm gonna just set up for a set breakout. Wait a second, here comes Anthony Duclair. Speed and a great stick, again, disrupt and no set breakouts. What happens, they make plays under pressure and it opens up opportunities. And right to the very end on this last example, F1's got to get a piece, then you're going to see Sam Bennett, he's not running a specific route, he knows he's just got to get a piece and now put this guy under pressure. Now they open it up, boom, it's in the back of the net. So they just take away time and space in in a very logical manner. So John, what you've just described is something I've called intentional
2: recklessness. From the florida panthers and to me that's kind of what their f2 does there's not a real set route but ready to read and react so once the panthers establish that four check what do they do in zone to be able to create the offense that they have so far
1: well we've touched upon this last year about the whole concept of using the trapezoid being a pain in the butt to really um, you know observe and know what's around you as a goalie if you constantly have to see which way the puck is going east-west behind the net. And and it's not just the rim releases or carrying the puck through that area, but it's also just getting into that area and battling and stealing pucks. And again, as we let these clips roll, they use the trapezoid area as as good as most teams. And, and right now they sit third in the league for five-on-five goals of pucks traveling through the trapezoid area. Again, F1 getting a piece, Reinhardt seals off the second post, bang, it's in the back of the net off these types of plays, you are constantly getting the D zone, the D zone coverage to not be comfortable, right? Guys are not used to uh, getting outside their element. Are are they playing a man to man, a box plus one? Uh, Are they going in layers? But if the puck constantly travels through behind the net, the other part is that you don't play with turnovers near the blue line. You're playing with potentially turning over the puck or losing a battle 200 feet from the net. And again, you get teams to collapse, they lose sight of a player, bang, you've got to have a quick strike mentality. And this, obviously, this last one, pretty, pretty famous early in this series, is release the puck, look at everybody's attention, go to the puck, goalie can't track it. It's just a bang, bang play, but you got to use the whole entire zone instead of getting squished or squeezed in a quadrant portion of the zone.
3: So John, I love the approach from the Leafs in game four. They seemed a lot more comfortable. They didn't feel like they needed to press for the offense and they were willing to, as Mike said you know earlier in the show, they, they were comfortable winning a game 2, one or two nothing, whatever it might have been. So can they take any of Florida's offensive zone strategy and instead of essentially, re, you know relying solely on scoring off the rush, can they mimic some of that? and sort of turn the tables on Florida.
1: I absolutely agree because again, if you just think that you're gonna score off the rush, then you are also susceptible typically and analytically to potentially having turnovers that bite you in the butt going the other way. It's, it's, it's just gonna happen, the numbers support it. So if you are willing to relinquish the possession to reload in another area of the ice to get defensive zone coverages to move and get uncomfortable and spin and become puck focus a focus with their skill set and their quick strike abilities then they could absolutely use this as a strategy because currently they are last in the teams that are left in the second round they are last in goals that are scored through the trapezoid area at five on five and as we see the game-winning goal yesterday not only did they use the trapezoid area to release pressure, here we got a one-on-five situation, they go to it four times, right? They don't force a block shot. They don't force a turnover. They It's a different version of possession, but they have an opportunity to create off of what seems like chaos and getting Florida to run around They regain possession. Now they get their D moving around and nobody gets Marner at the top and they win the race to the front of the net. And that's probably the last spot is when you start doing this and then you get your load of highs, it's how quickly defensive coverages seem to lose the net presence guy as he sprints to either box out or just get in the eyes or just create that chaos. And I thought Toronto, if they can adapt this to their um, arsenal, if if you will, I think that this will get uh, Florida's defense running around, and they might not be able to keep up with this type of pace.
3: Yeah, it's amazing to see the puck pass through that trapezoid four separate times in that sequence. Uh, The trap goal, as you like to call it. John, uh, love to tap into your hockey brain. Uh, you can follow John, who is the coach of the Cape Breton Eagles, on Twitter, gourmet underscore hockey. Thanks so much for joining us today for The Coaches Room, which is powered by Boston Pizza and their new Fanalytics menu. All right, Mike, we are running short on time. So our inbox question of the day, I'm going to keep it really simple for you. The Carolina Hurricanes are the current betting favorite for the Stanley Cup. Does that make sense to you?
2: Not with a 17% power play. I keep doubting them though, Frank, which means they're probably going to do it. And Jordan Martinuk's going to win the Smythe.
3: Yeah, I'm going to say that second part isn't going to happen, but he might win the Smythe of the second round. Yeah, I'm not like I'm not seeing the Canes as a clear Stanley Cup favorite. Botano.ca had them earlier today. Plus 275, I believe the Oilers were plus 350. So, uh, some interesting bets out there, which brings us to Tyler Remchuk and our Daily Faceoff Botano Daily Bet segment. Tyler, what do you make of that?
0: Yeah, that's interesting to me. I mean, you're basically getting the Canes, if you view them as a lock to go to the next round, then it makes sense. I'd be sprinkling on the Florida Panthers, though, Frank. I just think in round three, you get a look at them against the Canes. They might be a handful, and then who knows? The Stanley Cup playoffs is whatever, so they're lower down the odds board, but I like them. Uh, Let's stick to tonight, though, over on Botano. The game starts now at Botano.ca, and I'm just making two bets on this Canes-Devils game tonight because I think it was solid. The Canes on the puck line plus 187. If they're gonna win i think it could get to a point where the devils just fold up a little bit and also you always see the extra aggressive goalie pull when teams are facing elimination so i love the juice here plus 187 is such a good payout and i think the canes at home that building's going to be rocking they'll be motivated i also like the over it's hit a bunch of times in this series so i see no reason why it can't hit six goals tonight i love getting an over when the price is set at five and a half like this so give me over five and a half canes on the puck line two plays for one game tonight frank
3: love to see it and uh like you said the other day i don't know how many two game nights we have remaining in the playoffs so this could be it for a little while maybe a couple more uh that brings us to garbage time with mike mckenna what's caught your eye what's caught your attention from around the hockey world
2: paul maurice post game against the leafs pretty simple as that roll of tape here i'm going to get a second really for me it's just that. Paul Maurice, he knows that losing one game when you're up three nothing isn't the end of the world. I think he understands how important it is to keep that locker room loose. So look, here he ahead. is. After. Keep him coming, just try to hide your glee.
1: Relax. Here's <laughs> 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 so. like the coach's office. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's the Toronto media he's playing around with. Of course, previously a head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs from 2006 to 9. And uh, Frank just keeping them in check a little bit, told him not to enjoy this win too much. But I thought it was a fun, loose moment. And again, I think he's reading his own locker room, knowing that he cannot take one game as the end of the world for the Panthers.
3: He also quoted Will Farrell during that press conference, which was perfect in my books. Paul Maurice, appointment <laughs> viewing in terms of NHL head coaches and their press conferences. You know what else is appointment viewing? Daily face-off live Friday. You and Tyler, your M truck, breaking down all of Thursday night's action. We'll see you then. Have a great day, everyone.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? But there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under